Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Uh, we're excited to begin a brand new message series called Here. It was if uh, any of you watch and come back, and we thought, what a fitting time to be able to to take uh, a page out of popular culture and, and apply it to something scriptural. Well, the concept of heroes is simple. I believe we need heroes in our lives. I believe that every one of us needs someone to look up to, people to learn from. Uh, heroes inspire us, right? They challenge us that, that, that everyday people can become extraordinary and teach us something um, heroes are, are, the Bible is full of men and women who are actually heroes, people who, who rose up and who said, you know what, I'm going to do something about the world that I live in, people who have lived their lives for God to the best of their ability, and they impacted their worlds. And we, uh, these same men and women, are what we would call heroes of our faith. So, so over the next two weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be just exploring uh, two lives in the Bible. Today, we're going to be talking about David. He was a king. And next week, my wonderful wife, Heather, is going to be teaching us about a woman named Esther. And if, you have, uh, if you're familiar with, with the Bible, if maybe you grew up in church or in Sunday school and you have uh, heard some of these stories, I'm praying and believing that, that you'll hear something new about these individuals. But perhaps... You're joining us today or this next couple of weeks, and these individuals that we're going to be talking about that are found in the Bible, maybe you've never heard of them before. Now, I believe that God is going to speak something powerful into your life because we can learn from these heroes of the faith and see what they can teach us. And so today, we're going to be beginning with a man named David. David is actually one of the most famous uh, kings in all of, uh, of all of Israel's history, but also in modern day history. In fact, the statue David that was created and that sits in Rome is taken after this particular king. And so what we're going to be doing over the next two weeks is we're going to ask three questions each week. This week, we're going to ask, well, who is this hero? So we're going to learn about who this person is. The second question we're going to ask is, why is this person a hero? So what is it that sets this person apart from anybody else, and why should we pay attention? And then finally, the question would be, well, what is it that, why does that matter? How can that apply to my life? So who is this guy, David? David is one of Israel's most important kings. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, two entire books are dedicated to the life and reign as king of King David. We have 2 Samuel and 2 Chronicles. Both of those books are books found in the Old Testament. If you open up your Bibles, you'll see a table of contents, and you'll see 2 Samuel, and you'll see 2 Chronicles. Both of those actually are completely and entirely about the life of this man named David. David was the youngest of eight sons, okay? So he was born into a family by a guy named Jesse. So like Uncle Jesse from Full House, not quite that guy, but he was born into a family of, uh, the father's name was Jesse, and he was the eighth son, the youngest, the little guy, okay? And he was a, uh, attending the sheep. He was a sheep herder for his dad's pasture. So as the young guy, he got the, the job of getting uh, the fun of walking around, cleaning up uh, sheep poop everywhere he went and trying to take care of, of that sheep. He spent his early days mostly with animals, uh, fighting them off, off of uh, wolves and bears and lions that would come in. I mean, they live in the Middle Eastern area and there were some pretty fierce animals. So David's job as the young man taking care of the sheep was to protect that sheep fold. He was also an accomplished musician. Somehow, uh, while he was spending all of his time, sometimes just very lonely, quiet nights out on the pasture, 
he would be out there all by himself and he would learn, taught himself to play the harp. We don't know if he had lessons or if he just taught himself by ear, but he actually became quite an accomplished musician. And so later, in fact, God uses David's harp abilities to be able to play in the king's court before he became king to, to, uh, to help the, the king actually go to sleep at night and, and find peace. It was pretty interesting. Now, in David's family, David was considered rather unimportant. Because he was the youngest, he was sort of the runt of the family, David was very unimportant. And so there was a story in the Bible when nationally known prophet Samuel came to visit Jesse's home to visit his sons. David was so unimportant that the other seven sons were brought into the house. They were cleaned up wearing, you can imagine, you know, hey guys, put on your best clothes, do your hair all nice, shave, you know, and, and get your beard all nice and combed and everything. And I want you to be on your best behavior because nationally, nationally known celebrity prophet Samuel has come into our house. So the Bible tells us that Samuel comes in, Jesse's all excited. They probably throw a big party and a feast for this man. And he says, these are my seven sons. Okay, so what happens is, is that in that time, David is so unimportant to the family in, in the sense of, of what his, his job is in the family, he's still out in the sheep pasture. David's not even invited to this particular party. He's out in with the sheep while his brothers get to meet this, uh, this man of God, this prophet. Now, Samuel had been instructed by God to go to the home of Jesse and find the new king. So King Saul was the king of Israel at the time, and God was preparing to anoint a new king, a new person who was going to be the next king. So God tells Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to tell you which of the sons is going to become the next king. So what happens is, is that Saul then starts to meet each of the sons and he goes, he looks over him, he goes, okay. And he feels some divine restraint in his spirit saying, no, this is not the one, move on to the next. So then he moves to the next one and then to the next one and to the next one. He goes all through all seven of the sons and he's like, God, what's the deal here? You told me that I was going to find the next king out of one of Jesse's sons. And this is what God says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, if it's on the screen as well. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about, in this case, the oldest son, but he did the same with all seven sons. The Lord does not see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, and here it is. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So when Samuel learned that that, that none of these seven we're the right one. He says, hey, do you have any other kids? And Jesse goes, well, I've got one son. He's out tending the sheep. And he says, go get him. And the Bible tells us that as soon as David walks in the door, the spirit of God within Samuel says, that's the man, that's the next king. Not because he may have been an accomplished person that we're going to see. He was the youngest. He was the runt of the litter. He was certainly unimportant because he was doing a dirty job, but he wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the smartest. He wasn't the strongest. He might not have even been the most handsome, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart and he became anointed to be king. And so when we learned that he had a younger son, David summoned, was summoned immediately, and God confirmed that he was to be anointed as king. And God in this passage clearly points out, and this is a lesson that we can learn for all of us, that he cares more about the heart than he does anything else. Think about that in your own life. He cares more about your heart than he does about anything else that you've got going on in your life. So David would grow up to become 
a, one of history's most famous kings. He was a brilliant military strategist. He was a great and he was a popular leader. He was an inspiring poet and a songwriter. But despite all of the greatness, despite all that he was known for in all of history and in all of scripture, the thing that David is actually most known for is that he was, in quotes, a man after God's own heart. When people talk about David, especially in the New Testament when he's referenced in other parts of the Bible, David isn't so much referenced as being a man who was a great king. He's known as being a man after God's own heart. So that brings us to our next question. Why is David a hero? Why is he a hero of our faith? So here's some things. David accomplished some pretty incredible things in his life, but he also had some incredibly monumental failures in his life as well. David was a national hero to his people, but he was also a murderer. He was an inspiring poet and a songwriter, but he was also an adulterer. He cheated on his wife. And in all of his life, though, the thing that David is most known for, despite his greatest successes and his failures, is that he had a heart for God. And he always came back to his personal relationship with God. So we're going to explore a few instances today from David's life and some very different illustrations And we're going to see as we keep this big idea in mind, okay? So here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, if you want to, the notes are in your program. Here it is today. Write this down. David's heart for God was the compass that kept him on the right path. David's heart for God was the compass that kept him on the right path. And so a compass is what? It guides you back to the direction you're trying to go in, okay? So if we think of a compass as we're trying to go north, No matter if I veer off the path and I accidentally find myself in another place, the compass, the heart for God, David's heart for God was the compass that always brought him back to center to the place of finding the right path. So let's look at an example of one of the most famous stories that probably most of you know. How many of you have heard of David and Goliath? Anybody ever heard of this story? Even if you've never been to church in your life, even if you've never read the Bible yourself, almost everybody has heard the concept of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 12 through 58, we see that David was still a young man at this point. David is summoned to the battle lines to bring supplies to three of his brothers who are in the military. David is still young at this point, not old enough to even be in the military. So he comes along bringing food supplies for his brothers who are fighting this battle. And while he's about to walk into the tent where, the, where his brothers were, he hears this yelling. He hears this, this mocking of this loud man who we now know as Goliath, who was mocking the people of Israel. He was mocking God. Goliath, well, most people think Goliath was a giant. There actually is nowhere in Scripture specifically that says he was a giant, but it does say that he was a Philistine champion, that he was, he was uh, monumentally strong, that he was known for killing so many people. Like in, in football terms, you know, in college, you'll see these guys wearing their helmets and they've got the little skull stickers, right? That kind of says how many sacks they've had or whatever, right? In, in, and in the military, we see the same thing with fighter jet pilots. They put like markings that show the number of kills. If Goliath were a football player or if Goliath were a, were a, a jet fighter or a military individual in our modern days, his armor would have so many stickers all over it for the people that he's killed. He was so fearsome. So David comes up and he, he's, he hears this Philistine champion mocking the people of Israel, mocking their God, saying, you're such, chill, such children, such babies. You're so worried. I can imagine him spewing foul words and, and saying all these things. And he goes up and he says, 
Why isn't anybody fighting against this man? Why isn't anybody taking this guy down who's mocking the armies of God in heaven? And everybody's backing off. Nobody would fight against this man. Everybody was terrified. And something happens inside of David. A righteous anger boils up. Something rises up inside of David. And he goes and he says, I will fight against this man. Now imagine that. Imagine a little teenage boy saying that he's going to go out and he's going to fight against the most decorated of, 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 of uh, warriors of the rival, the rival tribe or, or uh, people group, the enemies of them. He goes into the king's tent and he tells King Saul, no one is willing to fight this man who mocks God and our people, but I will go out and fight him and I know that I will win. And it's in this moment that we learn about David's heart. And we pick up the story right here after he tells Saul what he wants to do. This is in 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, if you want to follow along. This is what Saul says to him first. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. There is no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war. How long? Since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And watch how this builds. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this both to lions and to bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Can you sense the righteous anger and and his confidence in the spirit of God inside of him? And so what do we know? David then goes out. He takes the sling. He doesn't fight with the sword. He can't wear the armor because it's too big for him. But the spirit of God goes with David. He takes a slingshot with some stones. He flings it around and unprepared, Goliath is expecting a battle and instead he gets hit right in the forehead with a rock and it knocks him out. And David walks up to him, stands on his chest, takes Goliath's sword out and takes off the head of the champion of this enemy forces all because of his heart for God. David was not going to stand by and watch someone mock his God. He was not going to stand by and watch his people sit in, in terror while this man mocks them. And something happened inside of him that said, I will not allow this to happen. The Spirit of God came upon him and gave him the ability and power to do something in the darkness. It's a powerful story, but it was all because of David's heart for God. And ultimately, because of this, he became a national sensation. And ultimately, he has already been anointed king, but it took him on the road to becoming famous. And he was, became a very popular king because of this one of these stories. So his heart for God was a compass that guided him through a dark place, but he came out on top because of it. It's a powerful, powerful story. It's one of his greatest moments. But later in life, we see one of David's most darkest moments, one of his most horrible failures. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we hear a story of David and Bathsheba. Anybody heard of this? This woman named Bathsheba, a few of you. Now listen to this story. This is powerful. At the height of David's reign as king, we find one of his greatest mistakes and his failures. I mean, David at this point had everything. He had fame. He had power. He had popularity. He had money. But he was also held captive to lust and an insatiable appetite for women. And this is what we find 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites, another people group. They destroyed that army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. This is important because in that time, the kings would accompany their, ba- their, their, their armies out to the battles. That's what was, that was a custom at the time. So David staying behind at home when his army was out as king, this was a sign that something was wrong already. Verse 2, late one afternoon after his midday rest, midday rest, he was taking a nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And this seems weird. Who takes a bath outside? But in the times of, uh, of, of yesteryear, um, many people would have these sort of terraces that were above ground in the back of their homes, and then they could take baths there because inside the house they didn't have bathtubs. They didn't have things like that, okay? So it actually kept them out of sight. But because he was on a palace on the top of a hill, he'd walk out just like I am here, and he could see everything. So David looks out, and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, well, her name is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Iliam and the wife, ding, ding, wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David, naturally, sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Verse 5, it says, Later, Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, and she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So what we have here, yeah, well, it's a pretty, she's pregnant. So, so what we find here that happened was that David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be out leading the, leading the charge for a battle and a campaign that he has decided was, was to happen. But instead he stayed home. He wakes up in the afternoon and walks outside and sees a woman taking a bath, a married woman. He calls her, brings her into his home, has her, his way with her, sends her home. Later on, finds out that she's pregnant. So what does he do? He tries to cover it up. He calls in the husband, Uriah, the Hittite, right? Uriah is her husband. Calls him in, gives him a party, tries to get him drunk, and then wants to send him home to his wife so that he could sleep with her and then it would be a cover-up, right? Nobody would know that David had slept with his wife and had a baby. They would just think everything is normal. But Uriah, being the man that he is, will not go home. He says, no, if I go home and relax in the comfort of my own home with my wife, I will dishonor all of the other men who are out there fighting. I mean, that's what he was. So in contrast to David, who was the king who should have been out with his men, who stayed at home, Uriah is a man of integrity and says, no, I'm not going to come home and, 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 and have a great time and be in comfort when the rest of my men are out there fighting battles and being wounded and dying for this cause. So he sleeps at the palace gates. He does this for two nights. David is finally so sick of it that he comes up with a story to send Uriah back out to the front lines and tells Joab, the man who is kind of the leader, the commander of these forces, and says, when we go out and the next time, I want you to send Uriah out in the front lines. And when the battle gets the fiercest, I want you to command the rest of them to pull back so that Uriah will be left alone and will be killed. This is what David does. David, the man who slew in righteous anger Goliath, is so captivated by his own lust, by his own, his own greed for, for women and an insatiable hunger for it, that he tries to cover up not only adultery, but also becomes a murderer. And Uriah ends up dying in battle just the way that he planned it. And so what happens is 
that after this point, God is obviously extremely displeased with David and his choices. But he still is a man after God's heart. And even though he made a mistake, God always is able to bring him back in. So God sends Nathan, another prophet, to come to David, and he tells him the story. And in the middle of the story, David realizes that the prophet is telling a story about David. That David is the one who, who is horrible and wretched and did something completely uh, evil and terrible. And what does he do? We learn another thing about David's heart for God in this next verse. In verse 13, it says, Then David, after hearing this story from Nathan, confessed to Nathan. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. So we see two sides of David's heart, but from the same place. We see a righteous anger, a righteousness, and a willingness to do whatever God asked because it's right in his heart for God. But we also see that when David has gone off the rails and he made a horrible mistake and did something that's, that's terrible and that many people would, would, would consider to be some of the most vile things in the world, even in that space, his heart for God is soft. And when he hears the truth of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, a softness and a tenderness allows him to be able to say, I know I was wrong. I can't believe I did this. And he repents of it. In his failure and sin, David's heart for God brings him back to a right place and he repents. Now, in both of these situations, both good and bad, David's heart for God was the compass that kept him on the right path. Throughout his entire life, David would express his thoughts, his feelings, inspiration, and his failures in songs and in poems that we now know of as psalms in the Bible. Did you know that there are 150 psalms and nearly 80 of them were written by David? In fact, I want to read you a couple of them. It's in these psalms that we truly see the heart David had for God, and we can learn of God's response to that kind of heart. In Psalm 51, verses 1 through 7, this is literally a direct response to his situation and his affair with Bathsheba. Hear his heart after he recognizes the sin in his heart. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment that my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty even from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Can you, can you hear the, just the, 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 the raw pain that he was going through? The realization of what he had done. Have you, has any of you ever struggled with something like this where you did something that you knew was wrong? And in the moment you do it and it's, you're gratifying your flesh, you're gratifying your sinful nature, but then when the dust clears, you feel dirty. You feel gross. You, feel, you see the destruction you've laid in your, in your wake. You, you know what I'm talking about this time when you did something you knew was wrong and then you feel the weight of the pain that you've caused others and yourself. I mean, maybe not to the degree of an affair or to a murder, certainly, but, but whatever it might be that you've hurt a loved one or a spouse or, or a child or whatever it might be. And then David takes it that place, though, but he writes a prayer and a song to God. And you can just feel that deep inside. And that's the beauty of the Psalms is it allows us to connect with that, that raw nature. 
And God hears, right? That's the beauty of the Psalms is that God hears him and, and forgives him because his heart is in the right place. But also, David also wrote Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6. And this is a song written after God's protection and deliverance. You can imagine him singing this song and writing this after he, after he slays Goliath. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my shield, the power that saves me. And in my place of safety, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise. And he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangle me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path, but in my distress, I called out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary and my cry to him reached his ears. Isn't that that wonderful? Think of the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, right? Love came down. We say, we're singing these songs about that no matter what's going on, I will praise the Lord. Every song that we sing on Sunday mornings is considered a psalm to God. It's just, it's a poem. It's an inspirational song that is written to say something from your heart to God. And that's why David is a hero. David is a hero because in his greatest of moments, he gave God the glory. And in his worst and depth and deepest places, he was a hero because his heart for God always brought him back to a place of knowing where he was and that he could glorify God and that God would forgive him no matter what happened. I think that's a lesson for each one of us here is that no matter what you're going through, whether good or bad, if you have a heart for God, it will always keep you on the right path. So what does this matter for us? What does it matter for us? Three things I've got. Having a heart for God will do this. Always, it will always keep you centered and will never let you stray too far. That's the most important thing. This is what it was for David. A heart for God will always keep you centered and will never let you stray too far. Some of you might now, even in this very room, be saying, you know what? I feel like I'm really far away from God. How do I get back? How do I get back to the place of where, where I'm under God's favor and his blessing and I can feel his presence in my life? It begins with a heart for God. If your heart is hard, if every time you hear the name of Jesus, something wrestles in your spirit, there's a problem that's deeper than, than your theology, your heart has become hard like stone. And the only thing that transforms a life is a heart for God that allows his spirit to begin to come in and warm you and transform you into a new person. A heart for God will always keep you centered. That's what happened with David, is that no matter how far he went, his heart always told him, you've gone too far. A heart for God will keep you centered and will never let you stray too far. It will also allow you to overcome obstacles and be victorious. That's what it did for David. He saw that there was an obstacle in the way of his people. There was darkness, there was evil, there was something in the way, and he did not allow it to stand. His heart for God allowed him to overcome that obstacle and to ultimately rise on the other side victorious. And the same is true in our lives. If there's something in your way, if there is a place that God has called you to, if there is darkness in your community, if there is darkness in your neighborhood, if there is an injustice that is happening that you have the ability to do something about, the Spirit of God, the heart of God living inside of you will give you the ability to overcome that thing. Maybe not alone. Perhaps he's calling you to pull others with you. Because David, in this case, fought Goliath by himself. But later on, he had a man, a group of 400 men who rallied around him, and they did incredible things for God as well. So it's not always by yourself. 
But if you have a heart for God, you'll be sensitive to what the Spirit may be saying. And God may be saying to you, it enough is enough in that space. I want you to do something about that. He will always give you the ability to overcome an obstacle in your way and arise victorious if you have a heart for God. And finally, having a heart for God will remind you of what is right even after failure. Sometimes people will say, I'm not even sure I can hear God anymore. Well, if you have the right heart for God, if you, if you truly have a soft heart that you want to do what's right, and you want to know what God you know, has to say to you, and you take that time, even after your greatest of failures, you'll be able to hear God's voice saying, I still love you. I still care for you. You've not gone too far. There is still more I have for you. Come back to me, just like David did. David got to a place where even after he had realized all that he had done, the Spirit of God spoke to him through the, prophets, through the prophet Nathan. And, and God spoke to him in his heart, and he repented of it. No matter how far away you've gone, no matter what you have done, no matter what darkness you have gotten involved in, no matter what activities, no matter what mistakes you have made, it is not too far for you. Having a heart for God will always speak to you and say you are not too far gone. And that's the beauty of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's, that's a beautiful message. A beautiful message that no matter, no matter what we've done, no matter how bad we are, no matter how poor we are, God loves us. And having a heart for God will always remind us of what is right, even after failure. David is a hero of our faith, not because of what he did, but because his heart was always facing north toward God. We can learn from David's boldness for God and his tenderheartedness in the face of sin, in the face of failure. No matter what is happening in our lives, David speaks to us from God's word and encourages us to have a heart for God. Let's make God the center of our lives and allow him ways, his ways to guide our decisions and our behaviors. And so I'll leave you with the challenge of this today. Be known as a man or woman after God's own heart. That's what we know of as David. We know David as a man after God's own heart. Yes, he was a king. Yes, he was, um, he was a, a great man who overcame Goliath. And yes, he was a man of failure. And some people will, will say these things about him when they're studying him. But if you read commentaries about the Bible, if you read studies about the Bible, if you read even the Bible itself, the thing that comes out clearly about who David is, is not any of his activities. It's about his heart for God. And that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for your life. I want, at the end of my days, for people to say, you know what? Jared loved Jesus. He gave everything he had to love Jesus, to love God with all his heart, to teach his children about God. Yeah, he wasn't perfect. And when Jared made mistakes, he apologized for them. He repented to God for those things and he asked for help to move forward. That's what God wants for us. Let's, our, our challenge is to be known as a man or a woman after God's own heart. So to do that, we should trust that God can overcome any situation that you face. It begins there. It begins with saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm yours. I'm yours. And I trust that you will help me through this. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart of sin. That's a word we don't say a lot around here or even in modern churches so much, the word sin, because it's got such a connotation to judgment. But the reality is, is that every one of us struggles with sinful behaviors. And that's just things that are against who God is and what he wants for us. Sin is just missing the mark. 
Sin is just, is just living outside of God's design for our lives, his good, wholesome life. So in order for us to, to be able to hear the voice of God, we have to be tender enough to hear God saying, this is wrong. We talked last week at the end of our What's in a Name series about God's jealous nature, how he is so passionate for us and he wants a committed relationship for us. And that when we do things that are unfaithful to him, that's what we call sin. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and convict us of things that are wrong in our lives. If we don't, we will find that our hearts become hardened to him. And finally, I encourage you to do this. And this is maybe a new phrase for you, but it's to fall in love with God. I joke about how some of the worship songs that we sing sometimes are kind of girly. You know, like, I want to lay back in your arms and you wrap your hands around me. Yeah, okay, that's a little bit girly. But you know what? There's some truth to this concept that God loves us so passionately. He wants to know us deeply. And I can tell you that I'm honestly, genuinely in love with him. I'm in love with God. Into a place of not in a weirdness way or in a romantic way, but in a place of I have experienced the power of God in my life. I have overcome incredible obstacles in my life because of what God has done. Because I've always stayed centered in a place of my heart for God is what's first. I make him a priority in my life. I have always seen him pull me back to the right place, even as far as I've gone when I've made mistakes. I can genuinely tell you I have seen God active in my life. He's transformed me, and for that, I love him. Allow yourself to experience God and to fall in love with him. And watch as he transforms your life, as he transforms your circumstances. Be known as a man or a woman after God's own heart. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.